podcast from Steve Robbins of www.steverobbins.com, discussing how to build an executive mindset, working smart instead of hard, and reaching breakthroughs in your careers and your business. Today, I'd like to discuss facing facts. If you saw the movie Titanic, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, where the ship hits an iceberg, something interesting happens there. At one point, the ship has been pierced by the iceberg, but it's still afloat. People are still at dinner. They're still having fun, dancing, enjoying the ship. And the ship's engineer rushes to the bridge and is talking to the captain. And he says, the ship will sink. It is a mathematical certainty. Now, at that moment, everyone on board the ship was enjoying their lives and going on with what they didn't know might, in fact, be the last evening of their life. But even though they were having fun at that moment, it was a mathematical certainty by that time that the ship would sink. They couldn't predict exactly how or exactly when. They couldn't predict exactly and precisely what order things would work in and would stop working in. But they could predict that it was a mathematical certainty that the ship would sink. I've noticed that there's a lot of places in business where people really don't take the time to find out what is it that we can know as mathematical certainties, even if we can't predict everything about it. What are some of the things we can know? Several years ago, I was involved in a negotiation with an entrepreneur. I was one of the angel investors in his company, and he was was negotiating an additional loan because the company was on, on strapped for cash. And he was negotiating with the shareholders a stock bonus to compensate him for taking on the added risk of the loan. Now, he was presenting a particular package that was worth a certain amount of money. But we said to him, we said, look, at the very, very most, it doesn't make sense to compensate you by giving you more stock than the value of the loan. Right? If he needs to borrow $35,000, and that's the loan that he's personally guaranteeing, and he wants us to give him more stock so that he will take that risk for us, well, it doesn't make sense for us to pay him more than $35,000 for taking that risk, because if we're willing to pay him $35,000 for taking the risk, we should just give him the money and have him not take out the loan at all. In that moment, he was he was astonished, because he had never thought of it that way. And what we had done is we had stepped back and we had said, you know what, we don't know what the right amount to compensate him is. We don't know even if he should be compensated. But we can tell that at the very least, the one thing that is mathematically certain about the situation is that it doesn't make sense to give him more money to take a risk than the value of the risk that he's taking. Because then we can just insulate him from the risk. Another place where people don't really think through the the fact-based consequences of their actions is in the economics of overworking people. It's always amazed me. I come from a world primarily of startup companies. And it's almost this romantic notion of, ooh, we're a startup, we're a startup, we're going to work 100-hour weeks, we're going to not get any sleep, our eyes will be bloodshot, we will be panting when we get home from lack of sleep and exercise. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you've been through 9 or 10 startups, believe me, the romance wears thin. Not only does the romance wear thin, but you have to ask at some point, does this even make sense? Let's think about this for a minute. If you work people 80 hours a week, 
their productivity will drop. That's guaranteed. Study after study after study shows that after a certain amount of time every day, people just can't be productive anymore. The human brain is not built to go at full capacity for, you know, eat. Well, frankly, it can't even go for eight hours a day, much less for 10 or 12 hours a day. But at some point, the productivity is going to start to taper off. Well, if you're working people 80 hours a week, not only is productivity going to start dropping off, but people are going to get stressed out. They're not going to be able to take care of their home life. And chances are real good they're not going to get enough sleep. And between the, the stress and the lack of sleep, their health is going to suffer. And when their health suffers, they're either going to miss time or their productivity is going to drop. Because when you're sick, you're simply not able to be as productive as you are when you're healthy, well-rested, and having a good time and enjoying your life. Okay, so far you can probably understand, of course. But you say 80 hours a week, that's double time. Surely, even if someone becomes less productive, you're still going to be getting more out of them by working them 80 hours a week than by working them 40 or 50. Maybe, but maybe not. Let's take a look at the mathematical reality here. Let's say you're working someone 80 hours a week. That means that every workday is a 16-hour workday, right? Because an 8-hour workday is 40 hours a week. So a 16-hour workday is what people are working if they're working 80 hours a week. You know what? You don't work people 80 hours a week. Let's try 60 hours a week. Let's say you're working 60 hours a week. 60 hours a week is going to be a 12-hour workday. Five days a week times 12 hours is going to be a 60-hour work week. If you're working people 60 hours a week, let's say between the lack of sleep and the stress, that it decreases their productivity by 10%. And that's probably a conservative number. If you read some of the books, The Power of Full Engagement, look at some of the research, you'll discover that people lose a lot of productivity when they start to, when they start to taper off. It's not, a, it's not a thing where people just gradually lose a little bit. If you're working people 60 hours a week, chances are they're losing more than 10% of their productivity. But let's say that working 60 hours a week decreases their productivity by a mere 10%. Well, if it decreases their productivity by 10%, that means that you're essentially losing six hours a week of their time, because 10% of 60 is six. Which means working people 60 hours a week in such a way that it causes them to lose 10% of their productivity is exactly the same as working them 54 hours a week with no, uh, with no productivity loss. Well, if you assume then that maybe they're taking a 20% decrease in productivity, which is probably a more realistic number, that means there's an additional 12 hours a week because 20% of 60 hours a week is 12 hours, which means 12 hours divided into five days is two hours a day, or it's actually a little more than two hours a day, which brings people back down to about nine hours and nine and a half hours a day worth of work week. So what that means is, if working people 60 hours a week produces overall a 20% drop in productivity, that is exactly precisely equivalent to working them nine and a half hours a day with no drop in productivity. Now, which would you rather work? Would you rather work 60 hours a week and have a drop in productivity and be stressed out and not be getting enough sleep? Or would you rather be working nine hours a day, which is only 45 or 50 hours a week, and be getting enough sleep and have a lower stress level? 
they are e- they are identical scenarios. The only case in which too much overwork actually produces more work and more productivity is in the case when you can overwork people and their productivity stays high. And that simply isn't the way that reality works. So this is one simple example of a place where you can use some simple, simple math to really sit down and reason through a common business practice, which is, does working people many hours actually produce more productivity, or does it simply make the same productivity but manifested as overwork and stress versus manifested as reasonable hours and having a happy life outside of work? Now, keep in mind, if you overwork someone, if someone's working 60 hours a week for an extended period of time, as soon as flu season hits, they're going to be laid up for four or five days chances are, because their immune system is going to be compromised if they're not getting enough sleep and if they're stressed out. If somebody loses five days of work a year that they could have not lost because of the stress, think about taking those five days of, you know, and if you're working 60 hours a week, it's 12 hours a day, so five days of that is a whole 60 hours, which means that you've lost an entire work week of someone because they have taken the time, uh, they've taken the time in stress, well, if you divide that work week over the time that they were overworking, what you'll discover is, is in addition to the generic lost productivity, if people actually get sick as a result of working too many hours, that sickness eats up any remaining productivity gains you could possibly have had. So numerically and mathematically, it is a mathematical certainty that at some point it stops making sense to have long hours no matter how much you may think you need it and you may think that it produces good results. Here's a challenge for you. This is a tricky question, but it's based on a true scenario. One day, my internet service provider called me up and said, I would rather not bill you monthly. I would rather have you pay for the entire year in advance, and I'll offer you a 10% discount for you to pay for the whole year up front. And I thought to myself, oh, this is an interesting deal, because what he's saying is either I can pay over time, or I can pay less money all at once. And then I thought, but if I pay all at once, I'm not getting interest on my money that would otherwise be sitting in the bank. So, well, if I'm getting a really, really low interest rate in the bank, then it makes sense for me to take the 10% discount, because that's going to be that 10% will save me more than the interest that I would have earned on the money. If I'm getting a really, really high interest rate, then it makes sense for me to pay over time because the interest that I will make over time is going to more than offset the savings that the 10% would have given me. Here is your challenge. The question is, what interest rate do I have to make on my money in the bank so that it makes more sense for me to pay my ISP full price over the course of a year versus taking the 10% discount up front? My first thought was, oh, if I'm making 10% on the money in the bank, then I would rather just keep the money in the bank versus taking the 10% discount. So my original thought was anything over 10% and and it makes more sense to keep the money and, and forego the discount. That answer is flat wrong. So what is the right answer and what's the reasoning behind it? I invite you to give some thought. And if you think you've got it, go to www.steverrobbins.com and click on the Contact Me box and send me a little note letting me know what it is that you think you need as an interest rate for it to make more sense for you to forego a 10% discount up front.
Until then, have a great time. Uh, today was a little bit more mathematical than usual, but uh, I thought that it makes some sense to walk through some of these simple scenarios. Because even though you can't make definite statements about things, sometimes you can tell a lot about whether something broadly makes sense by doing a pretty simple analysis and just applying some numbers the right way.